We'll turn to God's holy word. We'll read together from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 9. We'll read Romans 9, verses 6 through 26, and then we'll also read a portion from chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. Romans 9, beginning in verse 6. They read God's word as follows. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you. And that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And they would turn to the next chapter, chapter 10, verse 14. Through to the end of the chapter. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing uh, through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. 
for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask that Israel not understand. First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So far, so far our reading of God's holy word. Let's sing together in response to amen with the words of Psalm 130, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. This afternoon we'll find our text from God's word. As the church has summarized it and confesses it in Lord's Day 8. A question, or actually Lord's Day 3, question and answer 8. Where we confess, but are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we're regenerated by the Spirit of God. As we reflect on this question and answer, we do so through the lenses of the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, articles 6 and 8. So let's turn to the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4. We know that it's 400 years ago that the, the Synod of Dort uh, was meeting, uh, right around this time, from November sometime into the, the new year, or of 1618, or 1618, 1619. And, uh, and so as we reflect uh, back on the fact that we have 400 years of, of history with regard to the use of uh, this uh, confession, the confession, uh, or the descendant of Dort, had to deal with some heresies within the church uh, with regard to Arminius. And the, the remonstrants, or the Arminians, came with uh, five objections to the Reformed faith. And so, therefore, you have five chapters in the canons of Dort. And now what the, what the, the, the men at the canons, or at, at the synod did, is they uh, combined the chapters three and four. Actually, they were um, disagreements uh, three and four. Objections three and four, they put together into one chapter because they kind of uh, fit to fit together. Uh, so that's the, the sort of the history as to why we have a chapter that is called three four, and we will read together Article six and Article eight, as you find on page five hundred and seventy six in your book of praise. Article six, there we confess the need for the gospel is the, the title. What therefore neither the, neither the light of nature nor the law of God can do, God performs by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, through the word or ministry of reconciliation, which is the gospel of the Messiah, by which it has pleased God to save men who believe, both under the old and under the new dispensation. And then Article 8 on the next page the title there is The Earnest Call by the Gospel. But as many as are called by the Gospel are earnestly called, for God earnestly and most sincerely reveals in His Word what is pleasing to Him, namely, that those who are called should come to Him. He also earnestly pr- promises rest for their souls and eternal life to all who come to Him and believe. 
You may want to uh, leave your songbook open uh, in this uh, particular chapter as I will refer to a number of other uh, articles uh, in this particular uh, chapter as we uh, uh, examine this particular topic. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, confess together with the canons as well, also earlier in this particular chapter, uh, that sin has entered into the world. And it entered into the world uh, through the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, way back in paradise. We see that from scriptures that they are the source of all evil and corruption in this world in which we are living. This is sin and evil that has spread to all of mankind. The result is that our human nature and the human nature of all people has become so corrupt that we are unable to do any good. And we even say that we're always, by nature, we're opposing the very will of God Almighty. But although we confess that, do we really always believe it? Do we really think that we're really that evil? That we're really all that corrupt? Right? You look around, even in congregation here, you look around in society, you may find many examples of kindness that people show to one another. Examples of decent people, good people, who are doing good things for other people. People. So is it really that bad? Is all of mankind really that corrupt and evil and, and sinful? Of course, we look around, we acknowledge that most of those things are not done, of course, into the service or in the service or to the glory of the Lord our God. And so when we are speaking about the total depravity of the heart and the total corruption of mankind, we need to understand that Scripture is speaking about the total, that man's total rejection of the Lord. The reason for that total rejection of God, we learn, is because the heart of mankind, that's also our hearts, has rebelled against the will of God. Why? Because we desire to follow our own will rather than the will of God. When God says, this is my will and do this, then we resist and we say, no, Lord, we want to do that. This is much more pleasing to our heart. This fulfills the desire that I have. And so the natural inclination of mankind is to trust in his own wisdom, to follow the desires of his own heart, rather than to trust the Lord God with our whole, li- with our whole life and to obey his holy will. And by the way, this is, this is something that, that really becomes more evident in our uh, postmodern world in which we are living. Today, we're told that the most important thing is that you are uh, authentic to yourself. In other words, that you, are, uh, that you follow your own will and your own desires, because if you don't follow your own will and your own desires, then you're not being real to yourself. And today, that's the greatest immoral thing, is not being true to your own will. And so, who determines what is right and wrong? It's not God. It's not somebody else. It's not your parents. It's you decide in your own heart what is right or what you desire. And if you're going to be true to yourself, then you're going to follow those, your desire, your will. And so, 
We're even being programmed today in our modern society, being pro- programmed that it is a good thing to, op- to oppose God and to oppose the very will of, of God. And so the reality here is, and it only illustrates this, is that when the human heart is hardened against the Lord God, we will always choose against the Lord. We're always going to choose against His will because what lives in us is totally different. What's happened is we have become spiritually dead. Dead to God. And that means that we will always choose against God. And that will always be the case, beloved, unless we are spiritually awakened by the power of the Spirit of our Lord. You know that that spiritual awakening, the canons as said earlier in this chapter, it comes only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Now this afternoon, we want to examine, examine how the Holy Spirit brings about that spiritual awakening in our hearts and our lives. And how does He do it? Well, the Spirit does that through the use of the Holy Word. The Bible is, you can say, the very means by which... Uh, we come to a saving knowledge of God. Without the Bible, we would not come to that saving knowledge of God, for it's the instrument of the Holy Spirit. Well, you can also know that in the past century, the last hundred years or so, maybe a little more than that already, there's been a movement in the Christian world that stresses the work of the Holy Spirit. It does so at the expense of God's Holy Word. We think here especially of what we call the charismatic movement, Charismatic movement, you'll find, for example, also in many Pentecostal churches and movements. You'll find charismatic movements even in many, many other churches as, as well, in which there will be elements of the charismatic movement uh, visible, or you'll find it there. The charismatic movement looks to the Holy Spirit as the one who comes and, and directly enters into our hearts and speaks into the hearts of the believers. Well, you can imagine that if you believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and speaks directly into your heart as if you have this telephone connection with God and God will tell you uh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do and God will tell you whether you're his child or not his child, then you no longer need God's word anymore because now you receive that that revelation directly from heaven and that word of God becomes kind of less important. That's just testimonies of people in the past who had that connection with God, and now you want your own connection with God. And so this movement undermines the biblical teaching that God uses His Word in order that He might communicate and that He might speak with us every day. It's interesting that last year at a ministerial conference we had a speaker. The speaker reminded us uh, ministers who were gathered there with our wives reminded us that John Calvin, he said, is often spoken about others as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Rather strange because we don't necessarily think of John Calvin and the Holy Spirit t- t- together. But his point is that John Calvin is the theologian who further developed for the Christian church the biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit and also about the work of the Holy Spirit within the church. But what's interesting with John Calvin is that John Calvin never separated the Holy Spirit from the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to work faith in the hearts of God's people. John Calvin, too, made very clear as he developed also the teaching and understanding of the Holy Spirit that the Word of God is the very tool 
by which the Holy Spirit again works knowledge of God in the hearts of mankind. And it's through his word uh, in which he calls mankind to look up to the Lord Jesus for their life and for their salvation. And so the Holy Spirit, indeed, he comes. He renews the human heart. But how does he renew our hearts, beloved? He does that uh, through the preaching and through the teaching of the Holy Gospel. And if you don't have the Holy Gospel, you will be led astray. And you will never come to have a saving knowledge of the Lord, your God. And so this afternoon we'll confess God's word under this theme. The regenerating Holy Spirit brings us to life through the living preaching of the gospel. So our theme, the regenerating Holy Spirit brings us to life through the living preaching of the gospel. Under that theme, we'll look at two things. First of all, we'll look at the need for the gospel. And secondly, we'll look at the earnest call of the gospel. Article 6 of chapter 2-3 says this, What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law can do, God performs by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word. Well, we need to go back to the two previous articles, Article 4 and Article 5. That will tell us a little more about what is meant by the light of nature and what is meant by the law here in Article 6. You go back to Article 4. Article 4 says this about the light of nature. It says, to be sure, there is left in man after the fall some light of nature. And it goes on, because of this light of nature, people then still, and then the quote, still retain some notion of God. They still retain some notions about natural things and about the difference between what is honorable and shameful and shows some regard for virtue and for outward order. So, what the canons are saying here is this, is that the point that God, is that God did not allow the world to completely fall apart after mankind rebelled against him. God still allows human beings to retain some notions of what is right and what is, ro- what is wrong, and what is honorable, what is shameful, so that we still maintain something of our humanness. Now, Paul writes about this, this same idea in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. There he writes this about the Gentiles. He says, Who do by nature things required by the law. Show They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Well, you know what the Armenians came with this particular text. And they argued... Paul is showing here that since people can still understand what is right and wrong, uh, therefore, that, means, that must mean that people can still choose for or against their salvation. And that wasn't Paul's point, of course. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 20 and following in, in Romans, Paul's point then in chapter 1 is that mankind is without excuse for rejecting God. Yet, So we're without excuse for rejecting the Lord God because God has given to us still some of those notions within us. But yet, Paul goes on, but the reality is that all humankind, all mankind, turns their heart against the Lord God. There is none, none who does what is right. 
And so while people may indeed display some moral behavior, yet Article 4 says, mankind is so far from arriving at the saving knowledge of God and true conversion through this light of nature that he does not use it, notice this, he does not use it properly in natural and civil matters. That means instead of using this light of nature that is still in us, instead of using that light of nature in a, in a proper way, well, what does mankind do with it? We abuse it. We misuse it. For the reality is that our minds and our hearts have become so darkened by sin that by nature we fight against that very light of nature. We even hate that light. So that even the good that is still left in us, even that we pollute. For by nature, we suppress the light of nature. So that Paul says, finally, Romans 1 verse 20, he says, therefore we are all without excuse for not knowing the truth. Yes, the light of nature is there, but we abuse it, we even hate it, we misuse it, and therefore we are still totally responsible before the Lord. And therefore in Article 6 we can conclude that the light of nature that we still retain is not able to bring us to a saving knowledge of the Lord our God. But then Article 6 also goes on. And speaks about the law. He says, what light of nature can do, neither can the law do that for us. And that is explained a little further in the previous article, Article 5. Article 5 says that the law reveals the greatness of our sin. The law of God convicts us of our guilt that we have disobeyed the Lord our God. But the article goes on and also makes clear, but it does not give us the remedy for our life. The law cannot give us the power that we need in order to rise up out of our misery and that we can do what is good and we can again save ourselves. No, when you read the law, what does the law do? The law simply leaves us there under the curse of God. Why? Because it accuses us of sin, of rebellion against the Lord our God. And therefore, the confession says the law too is a dead end. It too cannot obtain for us the saving grace that we need. And so now we come to the conclusion that since neither the light of nature that is still in us, nor the law, since neither can save us, that means that saving grace is something that God must give to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that He does that. We confess through the word of the ministry of reconciliation, which is the gospel of the Messiah. So the word of God here is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses in order to call us. And who is he calling? He is calling us, we who are dead sinners. And he's calling us to life. And that's why we speak here about God's word as Paul does, as the ministry of reconciliation and as the gospel of the Messiah. Remember Paul in in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, he writes about God uh, in this way. He says, God gave us, he's referring to himself as an apostle and also the other apostles and ministers, ministers of the gospel. He says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
See, it's a task of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to bring about reconciliation. That means to bring the, the Lord God who is in heaven and mankind who is on earth who have rebelled against God to bring us back together again to reconcile us. And so you go back to the beginning. You know that our rebellion against the Lord God broke that wonderful relationship we had with the Lord. And ever since Adam and Eve fall into sin, our first parents, uh, all of mankind has now lived under the wrath and under the curse of God. And it is through the word of God that, that the Spirit comes to mankind and, and He calls us to faith and He calls us to repentance. And the Spirit demands that, that we are truly sorry for our sins. And He demands that we come to before the Lord our God with a sincere heart. And we seek from the Lord God His forgiveness. Well, how is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit opens our heart. Beloved, it opens our heart not only so that we understand these concepts as theological concepts, but also that we truly accept in our, heart, our, in our hearts that will uh, to respond to that call to repent in which we are truly sorry before the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, the, probably the most difficult thing is to repent. Because to repent means that I confess that I have done wrong. To confess that I have hurt somebody. And not only that I have wronged somebody else, but ultimately that I deserve, therefore, God's eternal judgment and punishment for my sin. It's the hardest thing. Husbands and wives, we know that also in our, our marriage relationships when we've done something wrong. And we often feel quite justified what we have done to our spouse because our spouse deserves it, we think, in our hearts. And so it's hard, hard when we're confronted and with the truth that we need to repent because it means that we have to humble our heart. We have to acknowledge something that we really don't want to acknowledge because it hurts. Guilt. Is something we don't want to have to deal with in our lives. And therefore, through the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit, what begins to happen is that the Spirit opens our hearts so that we begin to accept also that prod that we have just received. And that may be hurtful. Our conscience has been pricked. And we don't like that. But the Holy Spirit causes us to pause for a moment. And to humble our heart. And to acknowledge I've done wrong. And to begin to submit to God's holy word. That I now listen to that call to repent in faith. And in humbleness, I come before the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me what I have done in this situation or that situation. Lord, do not hold my sins against me anymore. The Spirit then also works in our heart so that we begin to understand that the Father in heaven truly wants us to live freely under His grace and under His mercy. God doesn't want us to wallow in our sins, in our guilt. God wants us to acknowledge them and that we come to Him and we live under His grace and His mercy where we experience also what it means to be forgiven and to live under His blessing again. 
What a joy that also brings into our hearts and our lives. And when the Spirit gives us that wonderful understanding that now my sins have been forgiven, that will not be held against me, that the Lord will now also bless me richly. Not because I deserve it, but He does that out of His mercy and out of His grace. For that reason, Article 6 also speaks about God's Word as the Gospel of the Messiah. Or you could translate that gospel as the good news of the Messiah. Now you know that the word Messiah is the Hebrew word for Christ. And the word for Christ or Messiah, we can also interpret that to mean the anointed one. And so the Jews, already long ago, because of the promises of God, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. Because they knew that when the Messiah came, that he would come as the great Savior of Israel. So the question here is, so what is the gospel message? That the Holy Spirit is is now also given to the world in which we're living and given to us. Well, it's simply this, beloved. It's the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. That's why uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, when he says, when I came to to you in in Corinth, he says, when I first came to you, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, beloved, the gospel message is always the glad tidings of Jesus Christ as our Savior. The gospel proclaims salvation uh, through the saving work of Christ on the cross. That is where He went and He paid for all of our sins. That's where He came in order that He might remove the wrath of God and remove the curse of death so that we might again be reconciled forevermore with our God in heaven. That reveals the great need that we have for the gospel. See, the Holy Spirit uses that gospel message comes to you, beloved, also this afternoon. And He's calling you out of the spiritual darkness. And He calls you out of the spiritual darkness. Why? Because He wants to bring you into that living relationship with the Lord, your God. Spirit who comes and opens your heart. And He opens your heart so that you may turn your face away from the evil and the corruption in your life, and you may turn your face again towards the Lord God as the righteous and as the Holy One. Right? It's a shame. We don't want to turn before our face toward the Holy One. We don't want to come before the Holy Throne of God because it's dangerous. The Spirit opens our hearts so that we enjoy, we again turn our face to the Lord. And we call out to Him for His mercy. And we seek to live each day again under His grace. And we love nothing more in our heart than we might dedicate our lives in humble service to our Savior. Beloved, that Gospel of the Messiah calls you to a new life. It's a life of hope. You saw that this morning. It's a life of of joy. And therefore, God's Word must always be so dear. That Word of God must be precious to you. For it is through His Word that the Lord now also speaks to your heart. You know, we can easily say, I love the Lord. And we have this easy way about going, I love Christ and I love to, to, to serve Him. But beloved, we don't always so much love the Word of our Lord. 
Remember, if I think, for example, of your relationship in marriage, you might say, as husbands, you may say, you know, I love my wife. But if you never listen to your wife, your wife thinks that you love her. If you truly love your wife, it means you're also going to be open to the words of your wife. It means you're going to be open to listening to your wife. Because loving your wife is only possible when you get to know her. And you only get to know her when you listen to her. And that's exactly the same with the Word of God. It's not just some Word of God, oh, and then we're going to learn a few things so that we might be able to live a better life. No, Christ is speaking to us. And He wants to be heard by us. And if we truly love Him, we don't also want to hear Him. We want to hear what He has to say to us. We want to hear also His words of love, but also His words of rebuke when maybe we need those in our lives. But the reality is that we live in a time in which people don't necessarily like to read anymore. It's that reality is that also affects what we do with the Word of God. And so it can be a challenge. Challenge for also for us as God's people and to read and to study God's Word. Often I'm told that it is men who have a harder time reading than women. And yet, men, you're the ones who are called to give leadership in your families and to give leadership in the church. How do you give leadership to your wife if, if you don't read the Word of Christ? If you don't get to understand better the voice of the bridegroom, how can you lead your wife? How can you lead your family if the voice of the Lord Jesus is not the most important thing in your life? And so we need to also begin to kind of get into that habit of picking up our Bibles also personally and begin to read it. Because there you hear the voice of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And the devil, the devil sees this as an opportunity. He sees an opportunity when he sees God's people no longer being busy with the Word. An opportunity to undermine the faith of God's people. For when we are no longer busy with the Word of God, what happens, beloved, is you become spiritually blind to the truth, being tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine or idea. People today also argue, you know, preaching. What's the use of preaching? Preaching, ah, that's something that belongs to the past. Not that important anymore today. Today we pass on messages and, uh, in a diff- through different mediums. Uh, we use things such as drama and theater and, and video. People need to be entertained to, to be able to, to learn. People no longer have a long expansion, uh, uh, attention span because we're so busy with our, uh, with our digital gadgets every day. But beloved, the reality is that God speaks to you through His Word. And God has called preachers throughout the ages to come and to expound and to proclaim His Word. Why? Because that's the means by which the Spirit comes and works in your heart. And therefore, the reading of God's Holy Word in your personal life, reading it in devotion, 
Reading together with brothers and sisters in the congregation on Sunday. Reading together in societies as I understand we'll also begin again tonight with young peoples. That, beloved, that is the lifeblood for your spiritual life. Being engaged with the message that is being preached by the minister on Sunday. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit comes and He changes your heart. And the more you become engaged with the Word of God and with the preaching of the Holy Gospel, the closer the Spirit will also draw you there to the Lord your God in heaven. And then it's not just a matter, beloved, here of, of knowing more, becoming theologically um, more understanding about everything. But it's about understanding what God's message is for your life. And take, for example, maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're going through some difficult time in your life. What do you do? Well, you can complain. You can feel sorry for yourself. But there's a place you can go. That is, you can go to the Word of God. Why? Because God will speak to you through His, through His gospel. He'll speak to you words of encouragement, also in the midst of your suffering. Why? Because He's God who's compassionate. And His compassion will also be clearly expressed through His gospel word. Or when you should become disobedient, and you begin to walk, and you begin to stray away from the Lord God. What well, the Spirit of the Spirit speaks to you through, through His Word. Words of warning, words of admonition. And He warns you, if you keep going that way, what's going to happen to you? And He demands of you that you repent. And there's nothing better to, than, to be, than to be reminded of also our sins and through the Word of God. Much easier than if somebody else it has to do that for us. And when you start struggling with doubts, doubts of faith, it's a spirit who will encourage you with the sure promises of the gospel as you read his word. Beloved, our greatest need is the word of God, for it is the means by which the spirit calls each one of you into that living relationship with God. By His Word, the Spirit calls each one of us. We who are dead sinners calls us into a living relationship with God. If you want to thrive spiritually, then you need to be busy with the Word of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we also need to be aware that when the Holy Spirit comes to us with the call of the Gospel... That it is an earnest or a heartfelt or a genuine call, according to Article 8. Uh, you see, the Armenians back in those days and time of the Senate argued that if somebody cannot accept and if somebody is unable to reject the offer of the gospel of their own free will, that must mean that God's offer of salvation is really a hypocritical one. It's really a deceitful call of the gospel. And so they argued, they said, so how can God seriously call a person to faith if God knows that person will not have it in his or her power to be able to obey that particular call? Now, you know, that's not the first time that we come across such logic in the history of the church. Some 1,500 years before this, the Apostle Paul dealt with a similar argument in Romans chapter 9, verse 19. 
Paul is writing in chapter 9 about the election of God's people to salvation. And then he says in Romans 9, 18, he says this, that God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. But then he goes on in the next verse, verse 19, and he says, but some of you will object to me. Right? You imagine, it's a pretty difficult saying, isn't it? God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. He's going to harden those whom he wants to harden. Is that fair? Is that just? And so Paul says, I know some of you are objecting to what I'm writing here. For then you will say, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? And so these people in the days of Paul, they're arguing like the Armenians did some 1,600 years later. How can the Lord find fault in somebody if that person cannot choose the way of salvation for themselves? And this is Paul's response in verse 20. He says, but who are you? Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? And then Paul goes on and he illustrates uh, this with uh, the illustration of the potter and the clay. And he says, As clay does not argue with the potter about what it wants to be, so neither does mankind question the right of the Creator to determine our life. The point he makes is that while we may have indeed questions about God's decisions, we wonder how that may be right or just. He says, even though you may, we, we may not understand, and the Paul himself doesn't understand it, yet we believe his word and we accept his ways for mankind. And therefore we confess that when the Lord calls all mankind to repentance and to salvation, that the call of God is not a hypocritical call. God is not being deceitful in any way. But it is an earnest, it is a genuine call of the gospel. Notice how Article 8 puts it. puts it this way. It says, but as many as are called by the gospel are earnestly called. For God earnestly and most sincerely reveals in his word what is pleasing to him, namely that those who are called should come, should come to him. So it says, when the gospel is being preached to also mankind, it does not discriminate between the elect and those who are not elected by God. The same gospel is proclaimed to all people, Everyone hears, as Article 9 puts it, the Christ offered by the gospel. Everyone is being offered the forgiveness of sins. Everyone is being offered the life everlasting. The Lord's promises, we confess, are sincere promises given to all of mankind. Remember how the Lord spoke to Ezekiel of his desire that everyone in Israel might repent and everyone might be saved? He says in Ezekiel 33, 11, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Beloved, God takes no pleasure in seeing the destruction of his creatures. But he did, indeed, he desires that all who are called, that they should come to him in faith. 
And so the situation is that when God's offer of the gospel in Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, then you know that there are some who accept the offer and there are others who reject the offer. And the Arminians, while they argue that we can accept this offer, we can accept it by our own free will. After all, they said that's the only way it would be just. Whereas the Reformed pointed out that the Scriptures teach that it is only possible to accept the offer of the gospel through the regenerating work of the Spirit. Remember how the Lord Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to him in the night. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, unless one is born anew, that is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, talks about how the Holy Spirit works, and he goes wherever he wills and does as he pleases. He says, unless one is regenerated by the power of the Spirit, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, beloved, we confess that our human nature is totally corrupt. That we're completely depraved through and through. Our fall into sin means that all of mankind has become spiritually blind, unable to discern the truth from what is false. We all became wicked, we became rebellious, we became stubborn in our will and here in our heart. Our nature became so corrupt that we could no longer have the ability to accept the offer Christ gave to us in His Holy Gospel. Our natural inclination is to reject Christ and to reject the will of God. And the only way, only way that we can again accept Christ offered by the gospel is through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. When we speak about the offer of the gospel, and here too, beloved, we need to be careful. Careful not to think about it in terms of some friendly invitation. When the Lord comes and He offers us you know, the promises of the gospel through the preaching, He doesn't just come to you with some friendly advice and says, you know what, maybe it's a good idea if you accept this gospel. You know that you are free to do so or not, but please, please do so. It's good for you. No, that's not how God... And that's not how Christ comes to us with the gospel. But the gospel, beloved, comes to us with the command. And that command is repent and believe. It is a call to obedience to the Lord your God. This offer of the gospel is so serious. So serious that all those who reject it and refuse to respond in faith will receive even greater condemnation. The Lord promises everyone alike the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. But the Lord also declares His warning to everyone alike. If you do not repent, if you refuse to believe, you will bring eternal condemnation upon yourself. Beloved, the grace of God offered in the gospel, that's what brings hope and brings joy to everyone who receives it in faith. But it increases condemnation on all those who reject the Christ who is offered in the gospel. And the reason that, that many who are called do not come to faith, it's not the fault of the gospel. Not as if there's something wrong with the gospel. Nor is it the fault of the Lord God, but the fault lies with mankind himself. 
The Lord doesn't make people reject the gospel. The people of their own will, they reject the mercy, they reject the grace that is being offered by the Lord. And therefore, people bring God's judgment and bring God's condemnation upon themselves. They have only themselves to blame. So why then do others who are called, why did they respond in faith to the offer of the gospel? Well, it's with great humility, beloved, that we confess. It's not because of anything in us that we may have responded to that gospel call. It's not because I am better than others. It's not because I'm wiser or that I can see the truth better. It is entirely by the power, by the grace of God that my eyes have not been opened. That I may see the marvelous truth of the gospel and may experience also the joy of that. Right? By the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord comes. He softened my dark heart. He overcame the stubbornness and the rebelliousness that lived within me. So that I am able to again accept the truth of the gospel. I'm again willing to submit to the will of my God. And as I do so, the Spirit also helps me to experience the joy. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen.